0: Reading is taken from John chapter nine verses thirteen to twenty five. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born, who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they sent for the man's parents. "'Is this your son?' they asked. "'Is this the one you say was born blind? "'How is it that now he can see?' "'We know he is our son,' the parents answered, "'and we know he was born blind. "'But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. "'Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself.' His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So in our sermon series, we're exploring the different facets of Jesus and digging deeper into our understanding of the man and of his incarnational presence here on earth. little recap for you. So far, we've looked at his social position and his experience as a Jew, his temptations and how he dealt with them, how he confronted the powers and authority in his time, and how he turned the cultural norms upside down by showing us the kingdom of God. And today, we will be having a look at what the supernatural side of Jesus can tell us about him. What can we learn about the man, the Son of God, through his miraculous signs that he displayed while he was with us? What does it reveal about his character, his motivations, and his purpose? And what does that mean for us today? Before we unpack this a little, it might be helpful just to take a moment to examine what we think about the miracles of Jesus first. What were our initial reactions when we first read or heard about Jesus' miracles? Perhaps we were really young, and it seemed really plausible, and we believed without question, as children often do. We just accepted that, yes, of course Jesus could heal lepers, make people walk again, and raise them from the dead. Did Jesus feel like a magic man, wandering around, randomly healing people he bumped into willy-nilly? Maybe, as we got older and more cynical, we glossed over the miracles, not fully understanding why he did what he did. The questions poured in and it became just too difficult to reconcile why he didn't just heal everybody. Surely if he was the son of God, he could sort out all the illnesses and diseases in the world and then everybody would believe, wouldn't they? Perhaps we have wrestled with the deeper theological questions, read the commentaries, Studied a little, and now feel a little more settled with acknowledging that they are a foretaste of the Kingdom of God, that it is a glimpse of what the Kingdom of God should look like and what it does look like in the future. Wherever we sit with the miracles that Jesus did whilst he was here on earth, we might not have reflected on what they actually tell us about the person of Jesus. So let's have a a couple a little look, a brief look, at a couple of Jesus' miracles and see what we can learn. The first miracle Jesus did, and arguably the most well known, was at a wedding in a village in Cana in Galilee. A wedding back then was a big deal a big deal now, but it was a huge event, social event in a village. It brought celebration into an otherwise drab existence. The bridegroom and his men made a gala procession through the streets to fetch the bride's party by candlelight. Then everyone rushed to the groom's house for a feast worthy of royalty. Think of happy scenes from The Fiddler on the Roof of peasant Jewish families dancing across the courtyard in their finest embroidered clothes, of music and laughter, of banquet tables laden with clay platters of food and jugs of wine. The feast might go on for as long as a week, as long as the food and the drink held out. But, catastrophe, the wine did run out, a host's worst nightmare. To be honest, this miracle has always confused me. Why would the Son of God, whose primary purpose was to introduce the kingdom of God, to heal the sick and free the captives, choose to reveal his God's status in such a situation as this? Surely, A simple social faux pas, such as running out of wine, didn't warrant such an almighty display of supernatural generosity. Well, to begin with, it would appear he didn't choose to. Woman, what concern is that to you and to me, Jesus replies, when his mother mentioned the problem. My hour has not yet come. I wonder what went through his mind. If I do this now, there is no turning back, no hiding from the crowds or the authorities. Word will spread like wildfire, and my life will be turned upside down. This was a watershed moment. Fill the jars with water, he told the servants. And miraculously the best wine, the wine normally served at the beginning of a party, flowed out. In this first miracle, a date and a time not chosen by Jesus, we see him respond to the need around him. We see him put the enjoyment and well being of the party before his own. This will change his life forever. For them, it just means they can carry on eating and drinking and enjoying the party. Perhaps this speaks of abundance, of compassion, and of sacrifice. Perhaps also, there is a nod to the new way. The jugs that were used were the ceremonial water jugs that stood at the entrance of the house, 20 to 30-gallon jugs. Used for the ritual of cleansing and washing in line with uh, the Jewish customs of the day. So from the purified water of the Pharisees came the choice new wine of a whole new era. The time for ritual cleansing had passed. The time for celebration had begun. And so we turn to our miracle we heard in our reading this morning. In contrast to the first miracle in the backwater of Galilee, we now find Jesus in Jerusalem, the capital city, and in the heart of his opposition. John devotes an entire chapter to this blind man, sketching a classic portrayal of what happens when Jesus disturbs the accepted order. In Jesus' time, and shockingly in some circles until relatively recently, the cause of disability and illness was thought to stem from sin, from either the recipient or from their family. In Jesus' day, people assumed that tragedy hit people who deserved it. And so it was with the blind man in our story. Even the disciples debated what could account for such a birth defect. Here, Jesus responds, overturning the common notion about how God views sick and disabled people. As Philip Yancey puts it in his book, he denied that the man's blindness came from any sin. Jesus wanted the sick to know They are especially loved, not cursed, by God. Every one of his miracles of healing, in fact, undercuts the rabbinic tradition of, you deserved it. What began as a tragic tale of one man's blindness ends as a surreal tale of everyone else's blindness. Miracles, however, do not procure faith. The Pharisees were stuck in their rules and in their regulations. This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath, they say of Jesus. And the man who can now see, you were steeped at sin in birth. The response to this miracle, as well as most of the others reported in the Gospel, bears out a striking principle of faith. Although faith may produce miracles, miracles do not necessarily produce faith. There are about three dozen miracles reported in the New Testament, and the Gospels arguably downplay them. They were consistently either misinterpreted, denied, or provoked near hysteria and mass adulation. Numerous times, Jesus had to escape the hordes across lakes or up mountains because of the fuss they attracted. Miracles were the easy part of Jesus' ministry, but not always the most effective at changing hearts and lives. As he says in Mark chapter 2, verse 9, which is easier, to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk. Jesus never met a disease he could not cure, a demon he could not exercise, but he did meet sceptics he could not convince, and sinners he could not convert. Forgiveness of sins, requires an act of will on the part of the receiver. So, what does this tell us about Jesus, and how can we imitate this in our lives? These miracles and other miracles in the Bible reveal a man responding to the needs and the weaknesses of the most vulnerable in society. A man constantly interrupted by the pain of others, of others, those most rejected by the prevailing culture of the time. He was concerned for their physical well being, of course, but what touched him most deeply and what was a primary concern to him was their hearts. This is how we can show the love and the acceptance of Jesus, of God, in our world, in our community. Do miracles change hearts? Sometimes, but not always. We may yearn for signs of wonders, modern-day miracles and healings, and they are out there, and we do see them. But we cry for more. But I wonder if we do, perhaps we miss the real reason that Jesus showed us these in the first place. A sign is not the same thing as proof. A sign is merely a marker for someone who is looking in the right direction. So through Jesus' miracles on earth, we see a man full of compassion, a man whose mission was endlessly interrupted by the needs of those around him, and who responded with love, with time and with forgiveness. A man whose nature was to counteract the effects of the fallen world during his time on earth. A man who was tirelessly trying to demonstrate and instruct us in a new way of relating and being in the world. A man trying to open our eyes and our hearts to his way to God's way of love and healing. Let us pray. Father, open our eyes and open our hearts to your ways. Help us to show your love to all in our society, especially the most vulnerable and neglected. Help us to walk in faith trusting in you for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.